In Discussion with David Gibbons is sponsored in part by Bowman Global Change. Specializing in helping companies reduce their carbon emissions, Bowman Global Change applies real science to real business practices to produce results. From designing green programs to one-on-one training to helping set up green action teams in your business, Bowman Global Change translates complex science in practical ways that everyone can understand and use. For more information or to discover how Bowman Global Change can help your organization, visit bowmanglobalchange.com. Welcome to the fourth Crossing Over the Bridge program. My guest today, Professor William Tiller, scientist Brian O'Leary, Dr. Charles Swengler, and scientist Nassim Haramein. Professor William Tiller, fellow to the American Academy for the Advancement of Science, Professor Emeritus of Stanford University's Department of Materials Science, spent 34 years in academia after nine years as an advisory physicist with the Westinghouse Research Laboratories. He's published over 250 conventional scientific papers, three books, and several patents. In parallel for over 30 years, he's avocationally pursuing serious experimental and theoretical study of the field of psychoenergetics, which will very likely become an integral part of tomorrow's physics. In this new area, he's published an additional 100 scientific papers and four seminal books. He was recently quoted, For the last 400 years, an unstated assumption of science is that human intention cannot affect what we call physical reality. Our experimental research of the past decade shows that, for today's world and under the right conditions, this assumption is no longer correct. We humans are much more than we think we are, and psychoenergetic science continues to expand the proof of it. Dr. Brian O'Leary is a scientist-philosopher with 50 years of experience in academic research, teaching and government service in frontier science and energy policy. He was a NASA scientist astronaut during the Apollo program, the first to be selected for a planned Mars mission and participated in unmanned planetary missions as an Ivy League professor. Over the past four decades, Dr. O'Leary has been an international author, speaker, peace activist, founder of non-profits, and advisor to progressive U.S. Congress members and presidential candidates. His latest book, The Energy Solution Revolution, describes the enormous potential of breakthrough clean energy technologies, their suppression, and their logical necessity for our survival. Zero-point vacuum energy, cold fusion, and advanced hydrogen and water chemistry could indeed provide us all an abundant future for all of humanity. In 2004, he and his wife, the artist Meredith Miller, moved to the Andes in Ecuador, where they co-created Montesunas, an eco-retreat and educational center dedicated to creativity and the rights of nature. Dr. Charles Swengel graduated from the College of Osteopathic Medicine at the Pacific in 1994. He completed a hospital internship the following year and began private practice in Arizona. After seeing how homeopathic medicine helped his stepfather achieve a miraculous recovery from heart disease, 
and seeing his mother's complete recovery from stage four cancer using only natural medicine, Dr. Swengel pursued further studies and obtained his homeopathic medical license in 1996. He's very active in the holistic medical community, served on the Arizona Board of Homeopathic and Integrated Medical Examiners from 1998 through 2007, and was its president from 2004 to 2007. Dr. Swengel maintains professional and associate memberships in a number of osteopathic and homeopathic medical associations. Dr. Swengel now focuses on treating people who have been diagnosed with cancer. He's certified in insular potentiation therapy, a form of administering low-dose chemotherapy. Nassim Haramein was born in Geneva, Switzerland in 1962. As early as nine years old, he was already developing the basis for a unified hyperdimensional theory of matter and energy, which he eventually called the holofractographic universe. He spent most of his life researching the fundamental geometry of hyperspace, studying a variety of fields from theoretical physics, cosmology, quantum mechanics, biology, and chemistry, to anthropology and ancient civilizations. Combining this knowledge with a keen observation of the behavior of nature, he's discovered a specific geometric array that he's found to be fundamental to creation and the foundation for his unified field theory that has subsequently emerged. Crossing over the bridge. Welcome to In Discussion today and the fourth program in the series of Crossing Over the Bridge. I have great pleasure today to be joined by Professor William Tiller, Dr. Brian O'Leary, Nassim Haramein, and Dr. Charles Swingle. Gentlemen, welcome to you. Thank you. Pleased thank to be you. here. Hello. Gentlemen, thank you so very much for joining me today. It is a real privilege. What I would like to do today is continue our conversation from last time about uh, consciousness. I'd like to start, if I may, Professor William Tiller. We are going to lean towards today intentionality, consciousness, the energy of the human body, leaning somewhat towards our new guest today, Dr. Charles Swingle's work in the homeopathic area. The intentionality as human beings, and we had talked about zero point energy, and I think there are still some confusions about the definitions that we should apply for our audience and for people. How can we define zero point energy in terms of the energy of our human body, intentionality, and general wellness? The zero point was defined in the 1930s by physicists to talk about the zero point energy, which occurs at absolute zero of temperature. And the calculations showed that there was still a vibrational state available uh, at absolute zero temperature, and that is defined as the zero point energy. Now, the general energy I think that that refers to is electromagnetic energy, which is trivial compared to the energies available in the coarse physical vacuum. And so I would like to see a distinguishing between the use of the word zero-point energy and the vacuum energy. The zero-point energy at absolute zero might be the cumulative energy of our cosmos, 
at absolute zero. It's close to absolute zero in, in temperature. And that energy is minuscule. That total energy is minuscule compared to what is calculated to be the energy stored in the physical vacuum. And when I say minuscule, I mean a cubic angstrom. That's 10 one billionths of a cubic centimeter of vacuum energy is still larger than all the energy stored in all the atoms, all the stars, all the cosmic dust in a sphere of radius 15 billion light years. So it's meaningful that I quibble with this use of the word zero-point energy because the lay public tend to confuse that with the sum of what is or should be the zero-point energy and the, va and the vacuum energy. And it's good to set the record straight early and make that separation so that we just don't carry it with us uh, as we go forward. Can we just, before I turn to Nassim Haramein, define the difference between a metaphysical energy and other, and another dimensional energy or a cosmos well, energy? Let's see, I, I defined uh, what I call subtle energies about 30 years ago, and I defined th them as all of the energies outside of the four accepted force-related energies that we have in orthodox science, these being gravitational, electromagnetic, short-range nuclear force, long-range nuclear force. So beyond that, I'm saying that there are lots and lots and lots of energies, but they're related to energies functioning in the physical vacuum. That's how I make the separation and have written it that way for a very long time. Now, Sim Haramein, uh, your comments, thoughts on those definitions? Yes, um, you know, it could get quite technical. Um, and uh, I'm trying to uh, keep it simple for the public. I think that... Uh, Bill, you're, you're making this distinction uh, based on the distinction between or the deficiency between the cosmological constant and the physical vacuum density or the Planck's density. Is that correct? Basically, yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, yeah, there is, a, there is a, a thing in physics called the vacuum catastrophe. And it has to do with the fact that uh, if we look at the physical vacuum in the quantum world at the very small level, we find that it's extremely dense. Like I mentioned in the earlier program, it's in the order of 10 to the 93 grams per centimeter cube. Yeah, and, that's a, and that's a renormalized value. So it uh, could be, you know, uh, even denser depending on, on the renormalization process. But, but then when we, when we looked at the way the universe expands, and I'm trying to just like unpack this a little bit for the public out there so they understand a little more what we're talking about. Uh, when, when we look at the way the universe expands and, and we found recently that it seems to be accelerated, accelerating when it expands and so we had to put a new term in the field equation that describes the expansion to make it accelerate this was deemed later dark energy so a certain amount of energy had to be put in to accelerate our universe and it was found that this energy is most likely uh, the result of these quantum fluctuations of the vacuum 
However, when they calculated what these quantum density, uh, the, the energy density that dark energy would have to be to expand our universe and, ex and accelerate it, it was in an order of 10 to the minus 39 grams per centimeter cube, if I'm correct. And so this is a disparity between the cosmological vacuum energy and the quantum vacuum energy of almost 120 orders of magnitudes, very, very large disparity. Now, you know, there's evidence that the vacuum energy is expanding the universe at the cosmological size. There is laboratory evidence that the density or the Planck's density of the quantum vacuum is really, really there. So there's this big problem, and it's a big problem, 120 degree, uh, orders of magnitude difference. Now, actually, I'm just about to finish a paper, an invited paper that uh, will be published uh, in the next few months, where I actually bring those two together, and I, I find it very interesting that uh, you can actually look at the proton size uh, boundary, and, and if you calculate how much energy there is in the physical vacuum still present inside a proton, you find that you get the mass of the universe. I, I find that very interesting. You get about 10 to the 55th grams uh, is still present out of the 10 to the 93 grams that's in the physical vacuum. So the, inside a little teeny bitty proton, there's still 10 to the 55th grams of uh, energy density from the vacuum present. And then if you enlarge that proton so that it was the size of the universe, you find that you get the exact density of the cosmological vacuum. Bill, can I just come back to you? The fluctuations that Nassim talks about here, how are those fluctuations changing us in a cellular fashion as human beings? Well, that's very difficult to answer that way. The dilemma with what, for me, in terms of what Nassim has said, is that the calculations are based upon a distance-time-only model. And I go back to Dirac, who, of course, was the first person to uh, say something meaningful about where electrons and protons come from. And he postulated a vacuum of negative energy states, which, of course, physical physicists find abhorrent, and went through the arguments to show where both matter and antimatter came from. Now... <clears throat> It turns out that, that using Dirac's approach and giving viability to negative energy states, which, well, we'll come to why you should pay attention to those, you see that the coarsest level of the physical vacuum as a negative energy domain of the substance, that substance can provide attractors, which today's physicists are calling dark matter, and when you go through it with negative energy states, the gravitational attractions and repulsions, you see that at, at the outer edge of the universe, you predict acceleration rather than deceleration. So my concern is that if we, if we stick ourselves with a distance time only model, we can't go very far and we can't go uh, 
far at all when you want to talk about humans. The issue is that humans have consciousness, they have intention, they have emotion, they have mind, they have spirit, and none of these appear to be distance or time-related phenomena. So quantum mechanics cannot say anything meaningful about humans and, and what happens at a cellular level in humans unless you talk about only the meat and leave out all these other qualities. And so that's why I use a duplex space model, one part of it for the distance-time-related aspects of physics and the other for all the consciousness, etc., faster-than-light aspects of physics. And with that very well-defined, that is assuring us that we should be moving towards untraditional types of medicine Correct. extremely quickly. Correctly. I agree. Let me move on to Brian O'Leary. Having listened to this, and interestingly, what I always take away from Nassim Haramein is the movement to singularity. Professor Bill Tiller, this acceleration was just mentioned. We see acceleration happening in our lives today. Everything is accelerating uh, from the way that we are evolving as human beings and the information that we're recipients of with uh, platforms like the Internet. How do you see consciousness increasing and taking over from the traditional models that we see that a traditional scientist would refer to? Well, David, uh, traditional science uh, is so limited in its, um, uh, as pointed out, the, uh, the bill pointed out, is that the four traditional forces of physics is not enough. There's a fifth force, it's consciousness. And that fifth force is now just beginning to be understood. Professor Amit Goswami, for example, reconciles the, uh, the paradoxes of quantum mechanics only in terms of consciousness, that there, there is no way that you can explain away the observer effect or non-locality. So um, I find, for example, the models of, of Bill Tiller to be very appealing because, in a sense, I think we need to hypothesize that there exists a field, uh, an energy field, call it whatever you will, Akashic field, zero-point field, etheric field, but it's all pretty much the same thing, which is uh, time and space independent. It's a field that can be tapped under certain conditions, uh, for example, uh, accelerating charged particles. And when this field is interacted with, then consciousness becomes uh, a very effective agent in, in basically turning physics upside down, uh, traditional physics, which disturbs a lot of physicists, but is nevertheless uh, been experimentally verified many times. So I think that when we, we begin to observe all of the anomalies uh, from the point of view of mainstream physics, and there are just numerous anomalies, many experimental results that show beyond any reasonable doubt that our intention can change the properties of the material world. And then we're entering into a whole new science, a very exciting science, and the one that could be the cornerstone for the healing of humanity and the healing of, of our blessed planet um, at a time, this 11th hour of, uh, of our demise, that we can actually turn all of this around and we can actually 
implement some of these ideas. And that's the exciting thing about this work. Let me turn to Dr. Charles Swengel. Having heard this initial discussion, what I'd like to do for the rest of the program is turn towards the human body, intentionality, and put all of this into context, and then we'll return back to Bill Tiller. You work in what I would consider untraditional medicine, homeopathic medicine, which personally I think will become uh, the standard very soon. How do you resonate with what has been said here, with Brian O'Leary talking about this fifth dimension or fifth level of consciousness that is not accepted by the traditional community at the moment, but clearly is going to become the standard. How do you see that and how do you incorporate that into your work? Well, thank you, David. The, um, just as a brief background, I'm an osteopathic physician, which, as many of you know, is all of medicine plus a component of manipulation. And I'm a homeopathic physician, which is a, a separate license in Arizona that allows those of us that are interested in reaching out beyond the traditional medical model to basically things that work. So I have my own version, with all due respect to the wonderful scientific minds on this show, my own version of a unifying theory. And that is that the concept of unity we're talking about and the intentionality and the different levels of energetic thinking that all come together in the sense of intention, like Dr. Tiller was talking about so clearly. And the intention is how it affects our mind, which affects the brain, which affects the body, which means our health. It's a wonderful discovery, although it's been known for ages that what we think, how we believe, affects our health directly. And we have been acting for the last hundred years as if, and the as if means as if we're separate from the universe, as if we're separate from everything else. And that, of course, we know is not true. We, as individuals, as society, as a planet, are very intimately a part of everything else that that you fellows have been talking about. So when we take a moment and realize that, it's a short step to think that if we can control our thoughts, then therefore we can control the body and our health. So I integrate those kinds of concepts in everything I do from what appears to be the simplest to, on a very daily basis, the most severe and the most chronic of illnesses that we call cancer. Cancer is a manifestation in the body of an alteration in the mind and the thoughts. To say that a different way, what happens in the mind affects the brain, which interprets what we think, which affects the body. And it has to happen in the mind first. The mind is affected, then the body becomes. And then the mind is healed, and then the body heals. Now, of course, we have to have a lot of other physical level things. We have to have nutrition. We have to have vitamins and the trace elements and all the phytonutrients that come from good, wholesome, healthy food, which, of course, is becoming increasingly difficult to obtain. But when you do that, and we can control the mind and reach into the levels of mind that are beyond what we think our consciousness is, now ask me to define that, not going to happen. But let me suggest this to the other three of you, and to you, of course, David. What if the dimensions that you're talking about that can correlate why it is the universe is expanding, why it is that we have such an enormous energy density, 
why it is these other things and bring it together and think that maybe there's higher dimensions. Maybe the mind and the thoughts and a part of our being comes from an etherically high level in such a way that we don't have devices or instrumentation that can sense that, and therefore we can't prove that it exists. Nassim Haramein, let me just ask you to follow up on that last thought, this thought that the remedies are beyond our thought process or possibly beyond our reach at the moment. Well, you know, from the model I've been examining for some 20 years, I think the key there and even the the key to understanding what is the mind because the tendency is to think, oh, it's it's the the brain, the physical, you know, uh, attributes of the brain. But from my perspective and from the theories I've written, the brain is the telephone, not the conversation. The mind is actually within the field, that uh, the field carry information, this field we're talking about, uh, and that it's constantly interacting with the material world. Um, maybe in a good analogy to that w- for the more uh, technical people would be sarcastic electromagnetic theories, uh, which were started with Einstein and others, uh, where they showed that by assuming this field of energy, this vacuum density, they could look at the atom as interacting with the field, constantly exchanging information with this field. And when they made these calculations, they were able to classically account for the Bohr atom radius and for the black body radiation and all the things that quantum theory predicts, but this way in a completely classical way, just by matter interacting with this field. And I think this is the key to understanding matter, organization, eventually biology, and even consciousness. I think that we're constantly interacting with this field that's carrying all the information of all points in the universe holographically in each point. And we're informing the universe of our experience, and then the universe is informing us back by providing us experiences. And so I think a lot of this new approach to medicine and to health is to realize that we are feeding information to a system that is organizing and mapping our our, our life, our health, our, the organization of our body and how well it's organi- it's uh, communicating and so on. And if we feed information to the field, that leads to lower level of organization, uh, breakdown in communication, which cancer is a breakdown in communication between cells and so on. Then all of a sudden, you know, the health of a person uh, and their capacity to uh, continue their path becomes compromised. So I think realizing that this field is there, that's not only active at the atomic level, but it's active at the biological level, and that consciousness is actually an epiphenomenon of this field, is, uh, is crucial to, to this discussion and to our evolution. Let me turn to Bill Tiller. Bill, we were talking before the program about many of these subjects. 
One of the comments made by Dr. Swengel was, or quote, control thoughts when it comes to the mind. If you talk to John Perkins, and he talks about the eagle and the condor, and if you talk to many of the philosophers, they'll talk about a consciousness that actually utilizes the heart over the mind. Are we getting confused here that perhaps the mind is what is driving us back down the conventional road into all of these human frailties rather than looking at spirit, okay, emotion? Yeah. Let, let me address that. There are several things that are intermingled. Let me just first say one thing about fields. We know from our orthodox science that there are four fields that have been defined for our distance-time universe. Um, therefore, at all of these subsequent levels in the higher dimensions, there are probably many fields in each one. Now, there may indeed be a master field which underlies everything. And the interesting thing about that is that if you take just a normal potential well of a two-body potential as we do in distance-time, normally people to find the origin of energy at the root, at the base of, of this potential well, and therefore everything is positive energies above it. But if in fact you define the origin as the dissociation distance in this potential well, then everything below the potential well is negative energy. So in this way you can begin to accommodate negative energies and positive energies. And now if we talk about the field, in quotes, then that you could call the God field, which underlies everything, and everything is in its, everything of the vacuum level is within its potential well, and therefore it would be a negative energy relative to the dissociation of the stuff. So that's one point. The second point about the brain-mind there is a bit of confusion. I think it's important to look at the work of Tor Noratrander from Denmark, who talked about the unconscious and the conscious in humans. Mm -hmm. The information handling capacity of the unconscious appears to be um, more than a million times greater than that of the conscious. So it appears that the unconscious mm -hmm. does all the accessing of the information in the sensory system and manipulates it, makes calculations, probably plots diagrams, tables, and it extracts little bits of information, makes a kernel, small kernel of information, and feeds it to the conscious at a level at which it can receive, which is less than 50 bits per second. And the issue is the, but it sends it only along the channels that the human conscious has given meaning to, which means it puts in a filter. So the, the experience that humans have are very much dependent upon what they give meaning to. They deny a great deal depending upon their consciousness and their growth and their evolution and what states they hold. So I think we're a long way from knowing just where the mind-brain connection is because I think we need first make the connection between the unconscious and the conscious. Uh, so there was one third thing, and I can't remember what it was now. <laughs> <laughs> Let me turn to Brian O'Leary while Bill Tiller is searching. Searching his unconscious. <laughs> yes, yes. <right. laughs> 
Brian O'Leary, this is a point in the last 30 minutes of our program. We'd like to concentrate now on the cellular structure of the human being, going back to Dr. Swengel's work, talking about ailments or diseases such as cancer and how we can put meaning to that, how we can clarify that. What do we have to give meaning to? Bill Tiller was talking about this, that everything in the human is dependent upon what we give meaning to. In your work, what do we have to give meaning to in order for us to raise the uh, vibration, to align ourselves more with the wavelengths of Mother Earth, in order to climb this hill so that human beings can become more conscious? Well, the way I like to look at it, and it's similar to Bill Tiller's view, is that, um, that through our intention, we can purify water, water being the main substance that's inside of us and in our environment. This is certainly one of the bases of uh, homeopathy. You know, I was just very impressed with the results of Jacques Benavidniste, uh, where you can dilute a solution where there isn't even a, a, a single molecule left of the active agent. Uh, and it can uh, heal. And that's the sort of thing that's happening also in nature. Uh, some of the early work by Victor Schauberger and others that show that if water, can, that water can be restructured and literally uh, be purified uh, in a non-chemical way so that the water inside of us uh, can be healed and the water outside of us can be healed. And these principles, I think, are, are very important. We, we don't even have to develop a model to verify this. It's been experimentally verified many, many times. So, um, so we raise our consciousness to the degree we can do that through meditation, through clean living, and so forth. Uh, and Bill, I know you work with meditators, uh, and you, you prepare the space, the experiment, to be quite successful in, in order to change certain properties of water uh, and purify the water um, and the same thing is of course true in the uh, healing reaction inside humans and so if we if we can kind of continue doing the experiments but then apply them more and more and more and get them more into the mainstream I think it gives us a chance to really reach a threshold of understanding that we we can truly have it all ways we can heal ourselves and we can heal the planet I agree let me just turn to Dr. Swengel on that. Brian O'Leary talked about utilizing mediators to prepare the space to meet the intentions. How do you put that into practice in your work? Boy, now there's a question with a big answer. When we realize that every part of the body is under control of some part of the brain and nothing in the body happens your brain doesn't know about, you have to wonder where does the brain get its orders? And that comes from, in my concept, in mind. Okay, so where's mind? Well, that's what we're talking about. When we have a response to any of life's events, it's a choice. You can respond with love. One can respond with anger. One has harmony and the other discord. And that's the sense of control. We make a choice and we have control over our choice. And like I believe Brian was just saying, when we develop that consciousness through practice, through meditation, we can begin to consciously control our choices. And when that happens, that allows the ability to reach into our own mind, which is going to affect the brain and body, to balance out, restore, increase harmony, 
reduce toxins, which is going to have the effect of increasing our health. So in my practice, I take advantage of the concept of talking to the mind. I notice that homeopathic medicines and the energy they work at work at the level of mind, which is outside of consciousness. I'm not sure I want to say subconscious, but it's not conscious. When we give or administer the remedy, there's information that's been carried. Like you said, the telephone, I like that analogy. The homeopathic medicine carries information in a language that the mind and the body understand. So each time we take a dose, the mind and body receive the information, translate that into the language that's meaningful to us, and then physiologic changes follow. It happens like that very consistently every time. It is not because the homeopathic itself does something to you, which is the Western model of like drugs and medications, but that it influences the controlling factor, which is deep in the mind or the superconscious. Bill Tiller, the quotation that comes to point from our friend Dr. Susan Anthony, who I work with, this choice point Can we, in the last 15 minutes, gentlemen, talk about the steps to this consciousness? I think this is very important. Choice point comes about by finding our inner self. That comes through working with our chakras, comes through this meeting of the mind, the brain, the heart. Can you lay that out in that step-by-step process of where we have to go from here today to a state of consciousness that completely eliminates those human frailties. Well, let's go first to what I think my working hypothesis of what is the whole human. In this, I I think of a a sphere with three zones. The outer two zones are one one thing, and that thing is our bio body suit. That's what our soul, which is the next inner region, needs to be able to interact with this domain that's been created for us. And the core region is what I call the divine or the source, etc. And all of these are in us. And the more awake we are, the more communication goes back and forth between all of them. Awake. You use the word awake. What is the difference between the awake, though, and consciousness? Um... We are all relatively conscious. I mean, we're th- when we think of consciousness within ourselves, we're thinking of the brain consciousness, very little. And as we develop ourselves within, then we tap more and more of the, what I'd label the, the subconscious, which is also in this outer envelope of two levels of substance. But it's in the vacuum level. And that's where homeopathy is, in my model. And that's also where the acupuncture meridian system is, in my model. The mind, in my model, is in the soul self. Okay? So, it's, it's another aspect in which there is information transfer back and forth. And the more awake we are, then the more that information transfers back and forth. That we're in tune with these levels, all the way to the source self, the core All of it is accessible to us the more we develop the infrastructure within ourselves by spending more time within and searching within, looking within. In practical aspects in life, in human beings, and we're certainly seeing much chaos in human beings today, what is the barrier or the blockage to that in a cellular 
makeup in in centuries of downloading that well, we have to move through. Thing is, it, it's it's like Charles says, all of these things are connected. The mind is connected to the cell. There is an aspect like emotions probably in the cell, certainly in groups of cells. And there is, he mentioned the word, word etheric, which is my designation of the coarsest level of the physical vacuum, which I think of as part of the physical self, but the finer physical self. The coarse physical self is where our orthodox science is. Right? So these things are all connected. And so the more one is deeply in touch with all these levels of self, the more one can direct things to specific cell groups in the body, specific organs in the body. You do the heart math work and you find that the heart at the barrel reflex frequency, which is 0.14 hertz or in that region, that when you entrain the heart with your consciousness and intention, then you become more coherent. You see that the parasympathetic and the sympathetic system collapses, collapses to 0.14 hertz. And you also entrain the breathing rhythms, you also entrain the blood flow from the heart to the fingers and back again, and you also entrain the electroencephalograph, the brain. You see all of these come into alignment in the barrel reflex frequency and all the other electrophysiological things have collapsed to that. So you're coherent in that frequency. And then when you are, then the chemical factories of the body start to change in a beneficial way. And you gain abilities to truly influence materials both within the body and outside of the body. So all of these things are part of it. So it gets very complex. And we find that when we work with our imprinting, we have to lift the symmetry state of the space to a higher dimensional level before we, a specific one, and before we imprint in order to have the imprint really hold. If you try to do an imprinting without lifting the consciousness to this other level, then you don't get very good results. But you do get very good results when you do. Dr. Swenko, your response to that, putting that into practice? I'd like to make a comment about that that I think most people can relate to, and it is that those of higher consciousness that demonstrate that all these things are possible show a universal fundamental truth. I think we can all agree, and where I come from, and with due respect to Dr. Tiller, a demonstration of one example of something everybody believes to be impossible is sufficient to prove that it's possible. Agreed. But so, you know, it still takes a long time for yeah. the Orthodox community to come around to that way of thinking. When I say a long time, I mean <laughs> 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Uh, that's perhaps not longer. That, that's, yeah, perhaps longer. So we have to keep on keeping on demonstrating. Yes, I agree with that. Some of the greatest healers on the planet have demonstrated the ability to heal with nothing more than intent. And as much as I and my colleagues yep. in Arizona strive to emulate that, we're probably quite a long ways away. And that's a matter and a function probably of this consciousness and being awake. Yep. And, the, and the healing can occur right across the world, across yep. on a telephone, so it doesn't have to be local. The data is there. Yep. Well, I am so pleased to see in, in groups like this and discussions and people around the world of a gradually increasing consciousness. Yeah. Yeah, happy to be part of that. Nassim Haramein. 
Let、mm. me bring you in on that, because we shared a program recently, Nasim, where Bill Tiller had talked about this constant energy that we needed to use, in practical、mm. terms, in conscious terms, physical terms, energetic terms. Citing as an example the laser beam, what is it that we need to do in your world to minimise the traditional theories and bring this sense of consciousness, this intentionality that we're talking about, to the forefront now? That's a complex、uh, problem.、Uh, you know, we the the issue is that we have one foot in the old and. And we're striving to have a, a foot in the new, and since the old is still very much prominent on our planet, there's great difficulties that can be encountered there to bring the new to bear and and to make it clear and and to provide enough information so that the old ideas, the old paradigm structure, is able to accept these new ideas and move. And move on and move through them.、Uh, I think that one very important、uh, part of the discussion we're、uh, we're having today is that our emotions,、uh, our sense of self, our awareness. You know,、uh, Bill was talking about awakening, and and、um, I I think of it as well as awareness being, you know, being. Very highly sensitive to what is going on around us, what's going on inside of us, what is our internal process, what is our internal emotions. Recently, in the last few years, we've discovered that even genes seems to modify depending on our emotions and so on. And so, there is evidence that our emotional body, our our state of、uh, beingness, is very much. Present in、uh, the construct of our reality and the construct of our wellness, and so how do we bring this to bear? How do? What are the tools? Well, one of the tools、uh, that I think is crucial for humanity is to actually spend a little time, maybe a little time every day, turning our senses inwards and and contemplating. Our internal、uh, state, moving towards the inside of our existence, and and contemplating where we're at, how we feel about things, where you know what is our experience and what is our state of awareness. And I think when we do this, we eventually, as many masters or,、uh, across great spans of time, have discovered that. When you look inside, when you go deep within yourself, you find you eventually find this field of connectivity that connects all things. That field that from which all parts of the system is able to communicate with all other parts of the system. And when you realize that, you realize that that field has a very specific geometry, a very specific topology, and you can start to become more and more. Conscious of it, and and I just like to mention very quickly that I think that we've in psychology theory have reversed the terminology for conscious and unconscious. The part that we call unconscious is the part that takes <laughs> care of everything.、It's、truly conscious. Sure, yes, <laughs> that's totally taking care of making sure we're breathing, the heart's beating, everything is happening, that all the cells are communicating. It's crunching all the data. It's quite an amazing thing. 
And the part that we call conscious is the part that's going around going, what am I doing here and how did I get here? And um, I think those terms need to be reversed. I, I think the part that we call conscious is actually the unconscious part. And the part that we call unconscious is actually the conscious part trying to reach this unconscious part. And, and our task is to is to realize that, that we have access to what we call the unconscious, that we should call the conscious, and that we can, we can go deeper and deeper into it and have more and more control on what is going on, on, our, on what we're feeding to the universe so that we have more and more result that feeds us back more of what we want. Brian O'Leary, let me turn to you. Intentionality. It is about what we feel, what we think, manifesting what we want to see. I don't like using that word want, what we choose to see. Desire. Desire to see. I would like to see this go from, yes, an individual state of mind becoming conscious through intentionality and finding inner self, but also I think it's very important not to forget community as well in the world all of us being able to do this as one how would you define the best practice for that well um, I, I think many of the uh, the methods and approaches that individuals have used to go deeper and to heal heal themselves and heal others as individuals is, is a great start and also many experiments have shown that when people aligned in positive intention will create non-linear positive results so you can have group healings or a, a, a mind-matter interaction that, that's much more powerful than if you just add up the individuals uh, working on it. And I think therein lies the clue to solving our environmental problems uh, we, because right now we're, we're polluting our bodies, we're messing up the planet uh, at an accelerating rate, so we have to do something drastic very fast. and. The principles that we're talking about and the definitions, that's, while it's very important to understand what they are, it's just as important uh, to do these experiments in combined uh, positive intention, some of the group experiments that are going on. And using water as a medium, uh, as an experimental, shall we say, solvent in, in which this can happen. And it then brings together all of the sciences that we're talking about. Uh, both within our physical bodies and outside. Well, my desire for you, Brian, and everybody over there is that you keep on keeping on going, as Bill Tiller clearly states. Bill Tiller, your thoughts on summing up this program and where we need to go in this intentionality and this fully conscious world. Okay, well, my personal view is that all of this is here as a playpen for us to become which means becoming fully awake within, which means that we can use many practices uh, in terms of yoga, qigong, heart math, Sufism. Uh, you, you know, there are just many that are there, but you have to be willing to do that. And the issue is, in order to have group conscious intent, which I think is where we're going, and Brian's right on target, we will be able to heal the planet. We must remember that we first must become coherent ourselves, and then we can work in concert with others, but we have to learn how to entrain ourselves to become coherent with others. It isn't just numbers, and it isn't even just numbers plus the 
words in an intention. It is coming truly in phase, in oneness with each other, wherever we are on the earth. And then it turns out that the uh, energy density, the consciousness density will go up as the square of the number. So that becomes very powerful as you start increasing the numbers, so long as they're coherent. But if they are not coherent, because they're in different locations, you can have destructive interference as well as constructive interference. And that's the limitation of the present experiments being done by people. As you get to big enough numbers, in fact, the effect goes down, and that because is because they're not in phase with each other, even though their intentions, their meaningfulness is is in the right direction. Nassim Haramein. Yeah, I think that uh, that's very good. I, I I'm so pleased to hear this conversation occurring, uh, and uh, it needs to occur around the world. I, I think one of the main point that people can really latch on to and, and, and move towards this higher level of coherency is that in order for this to occur within themselves and for this to occur globally, we have to start to experience ourselves as part of this uh, unified field, part of this connective metric that's everywhere, that connects everything, that the, you're not separated from the chair you're sitting on, from the desk, from, and you can actually experience it. You can experience it at a deeper level than what it appears to be. So to experience that field, to, to strive to find that field within yourself and to experience it outside yourself and communicate it with others. And Dr. Swango, final statement. Thank you, David. The positive thoughts and actions of any one of us influences several others. So the positive acts and influences of many hundreds of us can influence the billions on the planet. Agreed. Mm -hmm. Very good. Professor William Tiller, Dr. Brian O'Leary, Nassim Haramein, Dr. Charles Swengel, thank you so very much for joining me today on Crossing Over the Bridge. Our joy. Thank, thank you, David. You. Thanks for having Thanks, us. David. And to our listeners today, I do hope that you have enjoyed this fourth program in the series of Crossing Over the Bridge as much as I have. You can gain information on this and any other program in the series at davidgibbons.org or crossingoverthebridge.org. Meanwhile, wherever you are in this world, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. David Gibbons in discussion welcomes listeners' comments and viewpoints at its blog at davidgibbons.org. This programming is supported by organizations and firms in the private and public sectors. In Discussion with David Gibbons is sponsored in part by Bowman Global Change. Specializing in helping companies reduce their carbon emissions, Bowman Global Change applies real science to real business practices to produce results. From designing green programs to one-on-one -on -one training to helping set up green action teams in your business, Bowman Global Change translates complex science in practical ways that everyone can understand and use. For more information or to discover how Bowman Global Change can help your organization, visit bowmanglobalchange.com. Com.